All alone and broken hearted Trying to calm the raging battle In my mind In search of many answers That my troubled soul Just couldn't seem to find I saw flower blooming where there was no rain or sunshine and I knew not that this flower would change the rest of my life I found a lily in my valley I found strength when I was born I found a place to leave my burden. I found refuge from the storm. A place where I trained my dark skies to beaming rays of sunshine. I found a lily in my valley. And he blooms all the time. Amen. So if you're down and broken hearted and you just can't seem to find peace of mind. Searching for your answers, but your problems are getting worse all the time. Oh, just lift your hand to Jesus. He'll take you in and break the ties that bind. Amen. He'll be the lily in your valley, and you can watch him bloom. All the time, he'll be a lily in your valley. In your valley, he'll be strength when you're worn. He'll be the place to leave your burden. He'll be the refuge from the storm. A place where you. In your valley, and he'll bloom all the time. I found a lily in my valley. In my valley, I found strength when I was born. I found a place to leave my burden. He gave me refuge from the storm. Be me
a lily in my valley. And he blooms all the time. Thank you, Lord. I found a lily in my valley. You're down and broken hearted And you just can't seem to find Peace of mind You're searching for your answers But your problems are getting worse All the time Oh, just lift your hand to Jesus He'll take you in and break the tide He'll be the lily in your valley, and you can watch him bloom all the time. I found a lily in my valley. Cause I'm still drinking water from the well. Oh, yes, I'm still drinking water from the well. Overflowing from that clear crystal fountain. Watch it flow, watch it swell. And my soul satisfied and I'm happy, can't you tell? Yes, I'm still drinking water from the well. They pierced aside from a spear and those three rusty nails what it thrills me just knowing that my friends 
I can bring Or they too can drink water from the well Oh yes, I'm still drinking water from the well Overflowing from that clear crystal fountain Watch it flow, watch it swell And my soul satisfied And I'm happy, can't you tell? Yes, I'm still drinking water from the well Aside, and a fountain was open from a spear and those three rusty nails. What oh, it thrills me just knowing that my friends I can bring when they too can drink water from the well. Oh, yes, I'm still drinking water from the well, overflowing from that clear crystal fountain. Watch it flow, watch it swell. So satisfied and I'm happy, can't you tell? Oh, yes, I'm still drinking water from the well. Oh, yes, I'm still drinking water from the well. Overflowing from that clear crystal fountain. Watch it flow, watch it swell. And my soul satisfied and I'm happy, can't you tell? Still drinking water from the well And my soul satisfied and happy can't you tell Still drinking water from the well There once was a man
something's missing and hear a still small voice you just keep dismissing do you know how it feels inside and to think just for you on a cross someone died you know how it feels when he knocks to surrender and sins washed away never to be remembered and know that it's real tell me do you know how it feels how does it feel to know you're a child of the king your heavenly father owns everything how does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above how does it feel to know you're all right when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real tell me do you know how it feels how does it feel to know you're a child of the king your heavenly father owns everything how does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created how does it feel to know you're all right when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real tell me do you know how it feels oh do you know how it feels when your cold heart has melted tears start to flowing the moment You're a child of the king, 
Heavenly Father owns everything. How does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above? How does it feel to know you are right when you lay your head on your pillow each night and know that it's real? Tell me, do you know how it is real tell me do you know how it feels how does it feel to know you're a child of the king your heavenly father owns everything how does it feel to know you are loved by the one who created the stars up above how does it feel to know you're all right Savior this morning. There's no other place I'd rather be than maybe in heaven. That'd be a good place to be, wouldn't it? Be kind of ready to get it. If you're a Christian this morning, would you raise your hand? Amen. All right. I'm not going to ask you, those of you that are not. But I hope you looked around and seen who was sitting beside you and see whether or not they raised their hand. So you, need, you know where to pray right off the bat. Okay? Um, back in November, I brought a message that uh, I didn't get done, and I want to bring part two to a message this morning that, um, that deals with the coming blood moons. 
I know that uh, a lot of people get somewhat uh, frightened when they hear things that uh, deal with prophecy, that deal with the second coming, that deal with things that uh, the Bible talks that are somewhat scary. I mean, who, who wouldn't be afraid of something called a blood moon, you know, uh, or, or the, the eclipses when they take place? God speaks to us in ways, and God, I believe, has been declaring himself all through the ages. Sometimes we just haven't known where to look. But if we look in God's word and we read what he says, it'll make perfect sense. And so uh, if you would, stand with me for just a moment, and I want you to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin here. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to look at verses 17 through 21. And there it says, And it shall come to pass that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That's me. I'm one of your old men. Okay? And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show these signs in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath blood, fire, vapor, and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray for just a minute. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, dear God, that you will be with each one of us, Lord, that as we look at your word and as we examine your word, that Jesus said it will render in our heart, Lord, truth. And that those of us, the Lord, that have an ear, I pray, dear God, that you will allow us to hear. That have an eye, that you will let us to see. And Jesus, most of all, those that perhaps have not yet turned to you and found you as the Lord and Savior of their life this morning. Lord, let this be a day, dear God, where a change will take place. And the heaven will rejoice because over the one that came home. And will give you praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I know that um, this morning you sprang up. You remember that? You turned your clocks forward last night. You lost an hour of sleep. Believe it or not, that's got a little bit to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Because we have done something what is called as the earth rotates on its axis and goes around the sun. We have crossed a place in the earth's atmosphere which we've crossed what they call the vernal equinox. And that just simply means that between the, crop, uh, the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, in the middle lies the equator, and we've reached the part that whenever, as we go around the sun, the earth penetrates a place to where the days change and get somewhat longer. Well, they do get longer. You notice, it'll, and it'll go like that until you get to the summer equinox, and it'll change and it'll start to get so shorter again. On April the 20th this year, we're going to celebrate Easter. April the 20th. For the Jew, they're going to celebrate what is called Passover. But you know, it doesn't fall on Easter Sunday because there's not a full moon on Easter Sunday. The Jewish people will celebrate on April the 14th. That's before, almost a week before we're going to celebrate Easter. There's going to be a full moon. And it will run through uh, Tuesday the 22nd because that is the Passover week and that is the time that the Jews will celebrate their time, which they call Passover. Now, this message this morning deals with moons. Because, you see, whenever God put things in motion, he called them mohedim. They were a series of appointments. 
he gave an illustration in Leviticus chapter 23 whenever he gave the seven feasts to Israel. And I'm going to explain a lot of this as we get into this as we go. But this goes back to a time I want to start out because I've got to kind of refresh your mind just a little bit of what we talked about before the last time we were here, just in case you weren't here because I don't want to jump in the middle of something and it won't make sense. Back in 70 A.D., Titus destroyed Israel, and Israel became a scattered nation, and they had been destroyed ever since, up until just recently. All right? However, 20 years after Israel was destroyed in 90 A.D., there was a council of Jewish men called the Council of Yavne, Y-A-V-N-E-H. They came together, and they prayed a five-fold prayer. Lord, restore the people to the land. Lord, restore the land to the people. Lord, restore the holy city. Lord, help rebuild the temple. And the fifth one is, Lord, send Messiah. I believe what we're experiencing today, what's going to begin in just five short weeks, is we're going to see the answer within the next two years of some of the most important Bible prophecies that we have ever experienced. I know this might sound difficult for some people to understand and to grasp, but if you can understand the Word of God, I think it's going to make perfectly good sense. Now, if you want to turn that chart on, the first one is talking about these, the coming of the four blood moons. Four is a tetrid. Tetrid means four. And uh, in the years 2014, and like I said, beginning on April the 14th, which is the Jewish Passover, not Easter Sunday, there's going to be what they call a blood moon. Blood moons aren't all that together uncommon altogether. Solar eclipses are not all that together uncommon. Because we have solar eclipses, we have lunar eclipses. Now, the Jewish people, they celebrate from new moon or from full moon to full moon. 30 days is in a month. And every 30 days you have a full moon. And this full moon becomes a guideline for the Jewish year. It runs 360 days, 12 months of 30 days each is 360 days, and it's lunar. Their year is lunar. Our year is solar. Our year is based on the sun. And we start our year on January 1. Well, the Jews have a different time frame, but I don't need to get into that. But at the same time, our year is 365 in the fourth days, and we celebrate a leap year. The Jewish people have an additional way of making up time, but that's not the point we want to get this morning. In order for a blood moon to occur, it must be in a total, a total lunar eclipse. There are different types of eclipses. They're not all together. Not everyone is a total lunar eclipse. Some are, are partial eclipses, and they have different names for them. And in order for the sun to have a total solar eclipse, it must be total. There is types of eclipses. And every now and then, you probably have remembered during the past that uh, they say if you'll watch certain certain times and if you can get out there with a piece of paper and hold it up and you can you can experience a, a solar eclipse and you can see it or you can do a little uh, experiment and you can kind of get the, the, the gist of what that's all about. In this hemisphere, you'll never see a blood moon. You'll never see a blood moon because we're not close enough to the equator. We're not between the tropics of Capricorn and Cancer and you have to be closer to it. So you're never going to experience it. You have to be there, and in the Middle East, and in particular around Jerusalem, it's a good place to be. 
when that happens. It's because God does this for a reason, and I'll show you as we get along here this morning. Total solar eclipses and lunar eclipses happen very often, even blood moons, like I said. So if you want to go to slide number two, Ken. Here is kind of like what one looks like, and if you'll click on that winter solstice there, lunar eclipse, I'll show you. Because in Joel, Joel rather, uh, 2.31, it says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Can you click on that? Can you click on where it says the winter solstice and the lunar eclipse, and you'll see what a blood moon looks like as it happens? It's trying. It's loading up. Here we go. Now, this is time elapsed on this, and uh, it's, it's sped up, but as the time goes, you'll see this moon eventually turn to blood, what it looks like. And this is what they're going to experience, the first one on April the 14th, in about five weeks from now. Israel is going to experience a blood moon. Now, what's all the excitement about, and, and what is the, the big deal about blood moons to begin with? You know, because solar eclipses happen often, blood moons happen often. There it was something that happened uh, back uh, in November, which um, maybe some of you remember. We experienced what was called a total or a hybrid solar eclipse. Now, this stuff that you're seeing up here, i got to thank uh, Dustin Huff. He uh, put this together for me, put these on. We were out of town working one weekend, and... Uh, and uh, we got together on his PowerPoint, and he helped me put this stuff together. So uh, he did a pretty good job on it, I think. But you can kind of see how that moon turns to blood. It's kind of weird looking, isn't it? Okay. Hybrid eclipses happen, uh, and they're a little more rare in occurrence. Uh, total lunar eclipses that comes with a, a full moon, which uh, uh, comes as a blood moon as a result of it, is even a little more rare than that. Um, hybrid eclipses, when it comes along with two blood moons and another lunar eclipse, or a solar eclipse, excuse me, and two blood moons that are in back-to-back -back years is extremely rare. It doesn't happen very often in history. All right? Every time when these blood moons occur, when it comes four in a row, they're called tetrids. And when they fall on Passover, the first Jewish feast day, and Sukkot, or Tabernacles, the last feast day, the seventh feast day, and then whenever it comes to this uh, total lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, and then on the Passover the next year, which is going to occur in 2015, and then again with Sukkot, back-to-back -back Passover, Sukkot, Passover, Sukkot, and back-to-back -back years. Every time this has happened, God has done something for Israel. He's done something for the nation Israel. So this is a warning sign, if you want to call it, that God is about to do something. Now, I mentioned five prayers, and that's where the just of all this is coming from. And I'll show short, you shortly some charts that, that might kind of help you understand this. If you want to go to the third slide, slide number three. Here's those five prayers that God, with the, the Jewish council of Yahweh, they prayed. Lord, restore the people to the land. Restore the land to the people. Restore the holy city. Restore the temple. And send Messiah. You have to stop and think about history and just what God has done and maybe the signs that are in the sun and the moon and how he's worked to see whether 
the prophetic aspect of it is coming together along with this. I believe God is in the process of answering these prayers from the Council of Yavneh, and I'll show you why. You want to go to slide number four? The question comes then is, why do we look at the sun and the moon and these other celestial objects? Genesis 1.14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. The first thing he said was signs. Let them be for signs, not only for the day and the night, but for seasons, but let the sun and the moon be for signs. He said in Luke 21, 25, and there shall be signs and in the sun and the moon and in the stars. And then in verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, let me insert a little important message right here. This is to nation Israel, it's not to the church. This is to the nation Israel. Whenever they see these things that begin to come to pass, look up for their redemption draweth nigh. Now what you need to understand this is because as God is dealing with the nation Israel, he's going to deal with the church. Because before God can go to a certain place with the nation Israel, he's got to do something with you and me. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And we, are, we belong to what the Bible calls the church. And I believe that God has got a special plan for the church. He's got a special plan for the nation Israel. And if you want to go to the next slide, Kenny. Uh, slide number five. In Psalms 19, 1 through 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound no heard, is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. The heavens declare the glory and the majesty of God. They tell a story. I don't know if you, you remember being back in school. Uh, that's been a long time for some of us. But I can remember, uh, and I didn't really like it too much, but, you know, it was kind of interesting in a way. But uh, all the mythology stories, you remember them? About all the stars, how they, uh, they tell stories and how they move around. And uh, there come an offspring out of that, which sprung out of Babylon, which became uh, astrology. Astrology. And a lot of you, uh, hopefully, a lot of you, or none of you, read your horoscopes paper every day because you know what horoscopes is that's astrology that's demonic there is nothing wrong with the study of astronomy that's the study of the stars and God tells a story he created them but astrology is demonic and you stay away from that but if you're looking for answers from God in the sun and in the moon in the stars, because he said they would be for signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, then that's what it's there for. Leviticus chapter 23 is these feast days that I began to tell you about. And I'm going to turn over there and I'm going to look at verses 1 through 5. Leviticus chapter 23. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, Ye shall proclaim them to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. 
Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations. You shall proclaim them in their seasons. And then in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Now, God said these are my feasts, once again. My feasts, meaning my mohedim. These are my feasts. God says, and he put these, uh, the reason for these is because he set forth pilgrimages. Three of them in number. Passover, Pentecost, and Yom Kippur. All right? The, or tabernacles. I, I said Yom Kippur, I meant tabernacles. I'm sorry. It's the last one. The reason he said that is because these feast days became very important to God because he says, I'm going to be there. These are my feasts. These are my appointments. Israel, you show up. So therefore, whenever we get into places and we can understand why some places in the Bible make more sense, which we may not have thought about before. For example, you remember on the day of Pentecost was fully come that the Lord showed up and the Holy Spirit was given? That's the fourth feasts. That was one of the pilgrimages. So therefore, whenever, and uh, so whenever, and the, another one is, uh, remember whenever uh, Joseph and Mary was headed to, uh, to give birth for the Christ child. This was tabernacles. That's why there was no room in the inn. Everybody in town, every, all the Jewish people was supposed to be there. That's why they couldn't find a place. So there are places in the Bible that unless you know some of these things, they don't altogether make a lot of sense. You don't know why they're there. And there's other places besides those. But, those, but everything that happens to Israel and everything is based off of these uh, feast days. And they are, they are uh, regulated by the moon. It's lunar. From month to month, from full moon to full moon. The only one that's different is Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of the fall feast days, and that's a new moon instead of a full moon, and that's where there's no moon. When it's a new moon, you can't see a moon. And the new moon begins whenever just, and that's why they send out two uh, rabbis, and they go out and they're looking up into the sky, and it takes a couple days for it to come along because they don't know which day it's going to come on. And they begin to see just a little sliver of the moon coming through. And they now can, now can proclaim it's a new moon. And the Feast of, Tabern or Feast of Trumpets, which is called Rosh Hashanah, can take place. Now, on these, uh, if you want to go to slide number seven. So the moon is key to Israel so God could speak to them. In reality, feast days are types and shadows. This is important. Because if we're to understand why God is doing what he's doing, we need to understand what his word is saying. You see, whenever he said these were holy convocations, these were mikra uh, kadosh. What that means is a rehearsal. It means rehearsal. Now, what is a rehearsal? It's practice for a real thing, isn't it? So if it's the practice for a real thing, it's not the real thing. You're just practicing it until it comes time for the real thing to come along. Okay? You have wedding rehearsals. You know, uh, they go through, they go through, walk through the line, everybody takes their place, and then they do a, a mock wedding ceremony. And they, they practice, they rehearse the wedding ceremony. But they really aren't married there until they, they do the real marriage. Israel, feast days are just like that. 
they are practicing, they are rehearsing because the feast days speak something very important. And here we see in Colossians chapter 2, says, verse 16 and 17, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the body is of Christ. The next slide, Ken, slide 8. So these are types. They're types and shadows. They are pictures of something that's to come. The coming blood moons, which are intended, or which will take place in Israel in 2014 and 2015, will occur with total lunar eclipse resulting in blood moons on Passover 4-15-14, which is just about five weeks away, which is the first one. Sukkot, which is the seventh feast day in 10-8 of this year. Then there'll be a total solar eclipse on March the 20th of 2015. And then there'll be another blood moon, which is just a, uh, about 14, 15 days away on, Pas uh, on uh, Passover uh, 414, and then following again with Sukkot in 2915. Back to back, Passover Sukkot, Passover Sukkot. I brought all that to this place because of some charts that are really interesting. Um, some of you remember, and I know that our, in our class, because we've talked about this to a degree, that, uh, and, and John Hagee, if you watch John Hagee on television, um, and, and you watch his shows, uh, whenever he did his series on the blood moon, uh, I remember him saying that he went to NASA's website, and that uh, by going to NASA's website, he was able to discover something other, and a lot of his charts, and some of this, like this right here, is one of the things off his uh, series that he done on these four blood moons that picture that you see right up there. He's got this off the website. And, um, but NASA stands for National Aeronautics and Times, Aeronautics and Space. NASA has recorded all the eclipses, total, partial, whatever, of both moon and the sun for the last 6,000 years. They go back 4,000 years before Christ. Or, and they can tell you when every one of them is and what happened and what kind of moon it was. This became important later on because if you remember, and I remember this uh, too, that you remember when uh, NASA was uh, preparing to send a uh, spaceship to the moon and in uh, their calculations, they kept coming up short. They couldn't figure out what they were doing wrong. Their calculations didn't work. Well, there was a fellow that was a Christian in NASA. He went to him, he says, you know, I remember reading in the Bible a place in Joshua, and it's in the uh, 10th chapter in verse 13. It talks about where uh, God made the sun to stand still for a whole day. Interesting. So they went back and redid their calculations. Because, you see, you can't just sit here on Earth and put your rocket ship out there and point it to the moon and shoot it off and it hit it. It won't work. Because you see the moon's going around the earth. And so whenever they shoot the rocket, it has the, has the right trajectory to come off the earth. You've got to shoot it out in front of the moon so whenever the moon gets there, the rocket ship catches it and it can land. That's how we sent man to the moon. But they had to go back and they had to do some recalculating of the things. So there, if you go to NASA's website, there are, there are so many that you've got to wait. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. It really is. 
but there are places that you can go on NASA's website where you can look and you can find these total eclipses of the sun and of the moon, and in the moon in particular. That's what I went to. So, let's just go on to the next chart again, if you don't care. This is one of the charts that you find that uh, John Hagee found. And uh, after a lot of looking and digging, I found the website that he, he looked at. And uh, we have these charts, by the way, in our class over here. We got the, a series of them. There's a series of, I think it's six of them. But uh, we've been looking at them a little bit. And um, you're going to see here, I think, as we look at this, and I don't know if uh, this little button I've got here or not will. I got a pointer. Let's see if this pointer works. Yeah, okay. Uh, what, you, what you see right here is a series of, these are moons. These are lunar eclipses, all right? And then there are also some solar eclipses that are in there with that. This blue line right here, this is um, our calendar, our calendar year, okay? This line down here is the Jewish years. It's gold years. We are in 20, uh, 2014, I'm trying to find where it is. Uh, I think we need to go this way over here. Kenny, can you slide it over the other way? There we go. Yeah, there we go. You're, you're right here in 2014. And this right here, which is in just a few weeks, will be the first of a tetrad of blood moons. Then you'll have the second one, which will fall on Sukkot. Then another one, which will fall in Passover the following year. And then Sukkot the following year. Passover, Sukkot, Passover, Sukkot. And then you have the lunar eclipse, or the solar eclipse that's in it right there. Every time that God has done this for, and, and showed this, when, when you have tetrads involved, four, not just one blood moon, not just two blood moons, not even just three blood moons, but when they come four and they fall on Passover and Sukkot, Passover and Sukkot, God does something for Israel. Now, what this chart doesn't show you, because it just goes back, if you were to take this chart back, it just goes back to 1967. 1967 becomes important because something happened in 1967. You know what it was? A tetrad, four blood moons. <clears throat> four blood moons. Now, is, that is this number nine, Ken? Yeah. Okay, all right. Now, I've done some of my own research in this, and I have gone to NASA's website and, uh, and gone back a couple thousand years and started looking at tetrads and start looking at different things that, uh, that might just kind of help prove it even more so. Has God really been doing something for Israel every time you have a tetrad? And four, when they fall, especially when they fall in Passover, Sukkot, Passover, and Sukkot, back to back years. You know what? Every time. Every time, and you go to the Bible, and you find out, and if you go to the different uh, timelines of the Bible where people have done research and put things that happened in certain, certain years in the Bible, all of a sudden, it doesn't tell you in the Bible, but you find tetrads. Every time God does something for Israel, which is major, okay? Now, in particular, we're looking at these five prayers that God had, or the Council of Yahweh came together and prayed to God, Okay? I think as 
you listen or you kind of understand what's going on here, you kind of hear the prayers of these council of Yadne coming to pass and coming to fruition. Remember, Lord, restore the people to the land was the first one. World War I, the Mediterranean was ruled by the English people. The land of Palestine was ruled by the English people. However, during that time frame of World War I, a fellow by the name of Alfred, Lord Alfred, come across with a declaration in England, and he says, the Jewish people need to have a homeland. And so this declaration, the Balfour Declaration, came along and allowed the Jewish people to begin to go back home. It took a world war to stir the Jewish people because they got, they got complacent in the lands where they were. They, didn't, they weren't ready to go back home. The same thing happened all the way back in the days of Babylon. All right? So the ability for Israel or the Jewish people to go back to homeland was the answer to the first prayer. Lord, restore the people to the land. The declaration allowed it to happen. Along comes World War II. Lord, restore the land to the people. What takes place then was you have uh, Nazism in Germany. Millions of Jews were killed. Stirred them up. Let's get out. Let's go back. We need a homeland. Lord, restore the land to the people. And in 1948, guess what happened? 48 and 49. Passover Sukkot. Passover Sukkot. Tetrids. Four blood moons. It happened. Israel was allowed and was declared a nation virtually overnight, May the 15th, 1948. Then we have, Lord, restore the holy city. 1967, which if we go back into 1967, which is right here, you have a next set of blood moons. This chart doesn't go back to 1948. But what's interesting about that is he said, Lord, uh, and, and the, on, your, on your third prayer there was to restore the holy city. And in 1967, 1968, you have Tetrids, and Israel, the city of Jerusalem, was given back to the Jewish people. What's the next prayer to be answered? Lord, restore the temple. Restore the temple. In the next two years, in these Passover, Sukkot, Passover, Sukkot, I believe that God is going to answer the fourth prayer of the Council of Yadne. It makes sense because the first three were, happened, and they happened as a result of Tetrids. And why not the next one? The important thing about all this is understanding where this lies in relationship to you. Because you see, God is doing this for Israel. But you're going to be affected. You're going to be affected. There's not another Tetrid it's going to take place for at least 150 years. So in all likely, this one here has a lot of importance. Okay? I don't like this to have a lot of importance. So this tetrad that's getting ready to take place now will probably be Israel's answer from the Council of Yavne to restore the temple. <clears throat> this rebuilding of the temple is not going to be without a price. Because as it took... World War One, World War Two, the Seventh Day War, for Israel to get to where they are today. There's interesting things that are taking place in the world today, which is Israel is somewhat of a uh, an eyesore for most people in this world, for most nations. 
They don't like Israel. In fact, the surrounding nations, which are Muslim nations, just as soon see them destroyed off the map. The next major war that's going to affect Israel, I think, is what they call the Battle of Gog and Magog. There's interesting things that's, that's happening around Syria, and I, per, I personally believe that from uh, what's been revealed is I think that the weapons of mass destruction that George Bush went into uh, Iraq to destroy the gas and all that kind of stuff, I think it ended up there. I really do, because they have images of uh, caravans moving something to Syria. There's a place in the Bible where it says that the Damascus, which is the capital of Syria, will be destroyed in a day. It's the oldest continuing city in the world. Why would it be destroyed in a day? Perhaps Hamas, perhaps one of the, the Muslim Brotherhood or somebody like that is going to say, we got to destroy Israel and wipe them off the face of the map and Israel's not going to allow it to happen. So what are they going to do? They're going to go in first. They're not going to wait. They'll destroy the city in a day. What this is going to result in then is it's going to upset the rest of the Muslim nations. Because what will take place then is there's hooks in the bear's jaw that Syria, Ethiopia, and Libya, according to Ezekiel chapter uh, 38, is going to say to the bear, arise and devour much flesh. They're going to want to destroy Israel because of what they've done to their nation. And the end result of that is, is God's going to destroy five-sevenths, I think it is, of that army that comes to invade them. God's going to make himself known to the world and to Israel that God is. And that there is none other than God. Now the problem with all that is, is this. In order for Israel to have peace and safety, according to Daniel 9.27, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he causes the sacrifice and the oblations to cease, it says. Israel is going to make a covenant or going to sign a peace treaty with an antichrist. That's in the future. There are talks of signing peace treaties going on right now. In fact, uh, it's in the news that um, the vice president and some of them are trying to get peace treaties signed. They're not the antichrist. It's not the antichrist. The antichrist will come out of the area of Syria I believe because of what the Bible teaches, and that uh, he will be a, uh, a Muslim that uh, will have the authority to bring about peace in the Middle East in order for Israel to be able to rebuild the temple. Why do we know that there's a temple that's going to be uh, built? If you go to Revelation chapter 7, he's, they're told to measure the temple and the court. How did he get there if it wasn't built? You know when that's at? That's in the tribulation period. Hmm. In the tribulation period, we have a temple. So the prayer has been answered sometime prior to that. Okay? But now, what's that leave us? And where does that leave you and I? That means that you and I, if we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, we're gone. Amen. You see, whenever you look in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, you find, he that, you find the history of the church age. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say, what? Unto the church. In Revelation chapter 4, till you get to 19, there is no church mentioned. In fact, if you look in chapter 13 of Revelation, uh, I'll just run up here real quick. 
chapter 13, if I can get my Bible over there real quick. Revelation 13 and verse 9, it uses that phrase again, but it leaves something out. This is when the mark of the beast is taking place, by the way. And in verse 9 it says, if any man let him hear, no church is mentioned there. You know why? It's not here. I believe that the rapture has occurred prior to this. So where does that leave us? We are at a place today where I believe that the church world has, uh, we, honestly, we've failed. The church world has failed. Uh, we've not converted the world to Christianity. In fact, the Muslim nation is growing faster than the Christian church is. What's that mean? That means that the Muslim people are going to become a, a, a prominent factor to reckon with in the tribulation period. Can you imagine what this world is going to be like when the church is gone? Can you imagine what it's going to be like for Israel when the church is gone? Can you imagine what it's going to be like for the world whenever all the, uh, the Christian people are gone and uh, the Lord has to go back to work to get into the hearts of man to get them to repent? Because you read in uh, 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 where it talks about the, uh, the son of perdition being revealed. But you see, that doesn't happen until the church is caught out. I don't believe we'll be here whenever the Antichrist is revealed. But the important thing of that to know is this. As God deals with Israel, he's going to deal with our church. So when we watch Israel and God getting ready to answer prayer to restore and build the temple, that means we could be going home really soon. We could be going home soon. Is that encouraging or discouraging to you? Is it? Is it really? It's encouraging? Some people, it's probably discouraging. You know, you've got a lot of things they'd like to do before it's time to go up. I came to this world with nothing, and I'll leave it with nothing. And I can go right today if the Lord wants to take us. But there are pictures. Because as I told you before, the feast days are types and shadows. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost are the spring feasts. They were fulfilled on the exact day and on the exact hour by Christ. Those spring feasts are fulfilled. What's left? The summer months, which is what you're in now, and then you have the fall feast. You have trumpets, Yom Kippur, tabernacles. The interesting thing about this is whenever you look in the book of Revelation, the fifth prayer to be answered is Lord send Messiah. You know when he comes back? At the end of the tribulation period. That means the fourth and fifth prayer that they have, you don't really want to be on this earth. You want to be gone. And you want to come back with Christ because when you get into the 19th chapter, it says that the wife hath prepared. Well, let me just read it. I can't quote it as easy as I can read it. In the 19th chapter, verses 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made, past tense, hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she be, should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the, trans, is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed is he, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. 
You see, the answer to the fifth prayer is in until the end. And the Bible says, and then they will look upon him whom they have pierced, according to Zechariah. It's too late. You don't want to be here in the tribulation period. You want to go beforehand. So why does that make this all important? Well, trumpets, Yom Kippur, and tabernacles are the next feast days. Let's just go backwards with them. Tabernacles, what does that mean? It means to dwell. When Christ comes and fulfills tabernacles, it means he will dwell on earth and we will keep the Feast of Tabernacles according to the Old Testament for a thousand years. That's at the end of the tribulation period and the fulfillment of that feast is on when he comes back and we come back with him. Well, there's a feast before that that's got to be fulfilled and that's Yom Kippur. That's when Israel is going to turn to him. That's the most holy day of the year for the Jewish nation. That's when the high priest went into the holiest of holies and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat and Israel received forgiveness of sins. They will look upon him when they pierced, they will repent, and then. But you see, there's another one which takes place before that. It's called trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. It's the only feast day that isn't a full moon, but it's a new moon. It's different than the other moons. What does trumpets teach? Trumpets teach the gathering of the nobles. It teaches resurrection of the dead. It teaches rewards to the Osef, which means it, the, the, the giving of rewards, which the Bible talks about robes and crowns. There are so many things that it teaches that in all probability, the fulfillment of a feast day, which is called Ram, uh, Rosh Hashanah or, Yom, or Rosh Hashanah or, or trumpets, it calls about the raising of the dead. What's that sound like? It sounds like rapture. So what is the, in all probability on some future Rosh Hashanah, it could very well be a rapture. I don't, I don't have a day or an hour. I don't have a clue. But I do know that this, that that's what the Bible, what it teaches. If you want to go to slide 12, there's something that's very interesting here on slide 12. The menorah. What's interesting about the menorah is it's, it's the candelabra that was used in the temple. It's the only light that's used in the temple. And in the temple, which you go from the, the, the outer courts to the inner courts to the Holy of Holies, okay? There are no windows in there. The only light that is in there comes from this candelabras called menorahs. Now, what is interesting about this, and if you look at these charts, and if you get a chance to look at one, there was a, what is called a jubilee year in 1967. Fifty years later, you come to 2015. It's another jubilee. You also had the Jewish year, 5777. 5777, which is right here, which comes to the end. 5777 is the Jewish year of light. The menorah is light. Let me give you a little story that you've heard me talk about in the times past concerning the menorah. You remember whenever Jesus was, he was a babe and he was, they wrapped him in what? Swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes. You know, and a lot of people don't know what swaddling is. 
A lot of you do because you've heard me talk. Swaddling was the linen cloth from the high priests. All right? Whenever, because everything that's dedicated to the priesthood, it can't be just pitched. It has to be used till it's done with. It can't be used anymore. They would take their undergarments of linen and they would tear them into strips. These were then used, rolled up, and put into the oil of the, of the menorah light and used as wicks to light the menorah. So when Jesus was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was really what? The light of the world. You see the picture, the types and the shadows that are there? All that is in there, and it's all in the, 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 the Jewish menorah. It's all right there. It's the year of light. It's the year of whenever Christ, I think, is going to make himself known to the, to the Jewish people. I mentioned before that uh, I had done some of my own research, and I'd looked back. And um, if you go back into the 1400s B.C. before Christ, there are some of the most profound tetrads that I'd seen. 1400 years before Christ don't mean a whole lot to us because we just don't look at it. In 1444 and 1443, back to back, Passover Sukkot, Passover Sukkot, something interesting happened. Got any idea what it was? Moses led the children out of Egypt. Interesting, isn't it, how God done something for the nation Israel? It was the Exodus. 40 years later, there was another tetrad of four blood moons. 1405 to 1404 uh, B.C. Moses died and the children of Canaan, the children of God, left the wilderness and went over to the land of Canaan. Tetrids. They tell a story. What's to say this next tetrid that begins in five weeks isn't going to tell us another story? You could be living Bible prophecy coming to fruition. You're living in the days that I believe that the apostles wanted to live. You're living in a day whenever we very well, in all probability, and why is the whole world saying that they believe that there's something happening, that the, that the Lord's coming back soon? Because he said there would be signs in the sun and in the moon. And, he's, and the heavens have been declaring it ever since the beginning of time. We just haven't looked in the right places sometimes. We're not putting together times, and I'm not telling you that in Rosh Hashanah this year or next year or whenever that the Lord's coming back because I, I don't know, I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. I'm just telling you that there's a lot of interesting things that's happening. And the Bible, the way it proclaims itself, lets us know that we are standing on the threshold of another world. I believe the Lord's coming back soon. Do you? Amen. I believe he is. There's something to all this. It's not just one of those things that's just a haphazard. There are other things that are concerning this tabernacle being rebuilt in the, uh, in the tribulation period. And that is, when they sign a peace treaty with the Antichrist, then we have the appearance of the, of the temple in Revelation chapter 11. You find something that happens, or someone that shows up on the scene right in that same chapter. You remember what it is? It's the two witnesses. The two witnesses come up. I believe them to be Enoch and Elijah. Some believe it's Moses and Elijah. I don't, I don't know, but I believe it's Enoch and Elijah. And there's a reason that I say that is because the Bible says it's appointed to man wants to die, and after that's the judgment. Okay? The Bible records that Moses died. Okay? Enoch was not, for God took him, and Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind. Those are the two that did not yet die. So if Moses comes back and God can do whatever he wants to, that means he's got to die twice. Okay? Because these two witnesses are killed. 
But they have the power to call fire down from heaven. They have the ability to do great signs and wonders. When the two witnesses want to, uh, are here to do God's work, you can rest assured that there will be no Muslim that will stop them from going on the mound if they want to go on it because they'll do whatever they want to. God will allow it to happen, and the tabernacle will be rebuilt again, even in troublous times, as the Bible says. I don't know what your condition are. Most of you raised your hand this morning that you're a Christian. So if you all would stand, somebody come up with a, uh, a song of invitation. There, there, there's a lot more information on this that um, when you look at uh, these charts that Hagee found, and he's never, he's not that I know of gone into, unless they've done it in Bible studies in their own church or whatever, gone into it into deeper, uh, deeper study. But uh, God's got a way of, of letting his people know. I, I don't think that God's going to leave us in, in the dark because I don't think we're children of the dark. And in the fifth chapter of First Thessalonians, it says, But of those times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But listen to this. It says, Ye, brethren, you talking about the church, are not in darkness. That the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and of love, and uh, for a helmet and the hope of salvation. Your salvation this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, is sure. There's not a doctor that can take that away from you. They can't put that on the operating table and take it out like you can an arm or a limb or a cancer or a whatever it is. Your salvation cannot be taken away from you if you don't choose to give it up. But if you've not made the decision to know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, then you've got a, a day of reckoning that's coming before you. Let me just give you a little illustration. Should it be that uh, the Lord catches the church out in the not-too-distant future, if it should be that, you're going to be left behind with some of the most dreadful and terrible times that you could ever begin to imagine. You think your money doesn't go far now. Wait till you get into the tribulation period if you're left behind. Because the Bible talks about a measure of wheat for a penny. That's a day's wages for a loaf of bread. It's not far from that now. The Bible talks about a mark that's coming upon those that are left in the tribulation period that if you don't take a mark, you can't buy or sell. And if you, don't want to buy, if you don't want to take the mark, then you run the risk of losing your head. The Bible talks about beheading that. Isn't it kind of interesting how the Muslims have come across here in the recent years 
whenever we began to invade over there, they captured some of our soldiers. And what did they do to them? They beheaded them. God's giving you a prelude into what's getting ready to take place when the Muslim nation comes to the forefront in the tribulation period. It's going to do it. It's going to happen. Because they're going to reckon with Israel in a way that God's going to have to come to their rescue or they won't survive. And the rest of the world, whenever so many people are gone, can you imagine the void that's going to take place in the world? The people that uh, are doing the jobs that they do today that are Christian-oriented or Christian-run are not going to happen? Can you imagine not being able to buy food for your child that's born during that time frame? If you happen to be with child and you go into the tribulation period and you don't know Jesus Christ, how are you going to feed it? If you don't take a mark it's difficult you just as well off to go to the chopping block and give your head and proclaim Jesus Christ but I don't want to be here I don't tend to be here and I'm not going to be here because you see there was a day in my past when I met Jesus Christ and he became my Lord and my Savior and he prepared a way for me. He said that I'm not appointed to you until wrath. The tribulation period is a time of wrath. And it's closer than you think. You see, the Bible talks and teaches that there would be 7,000 years of human history. You've got 4,000 years before, from Adam to Christ, roughly. You've got 2,000 years from the time of Christ to today. You've got the millennial reign of Christ which is a thousand years, which is yet future. Boy, we're right there between that sixth and seventh time, aren't we? Between the sixth and seventh day. That's why you're seeing so much prophecy. That's why you're seeing so much of it happening and fulfilled. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior, I recommend you come forward and find him as they sing.